Welcome back to Faith FM. We have come into the second hour of our show. It is currently 8.04 a.m. on a Friday morning that has gone from cloudy and rainy here in Newcastle to sunny, but still quite windy. So we're expecting uh, um, probably some rain later. Anyways, guys, uh, you are listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, and we are going to have a 400-point clue for the quiz, which is... What judge of Israel made a foolish vow to sacrifice whatsoever came out his door to meet him? Oh, this is a this is a terrible story, guys. And if you know the answer, you can give us a call at 0491-064-669. You can call us, text us the right answer, and for 400 points, you can win yourself a Faith FM uh, not a bookmark or bumper sticker. I'm kind of, you know, we're having a great April Fool's Day today. It is, it is amazing. Um, but for 400 points, you can win a book from our selection of bargain books. Again, that number is 0491064669. And that question again for 400 points is what judge of Israel made a foolish vow to sacrifice whatsoever came out of his door to meet him? Incredibly sad story. But guys, uh, we're going to be getting into our Bible study in a little bit. Before we do, we have a few text messages here before us. Um, the first one here, hello, Faith FM. I was Hindu before. By God's incredible grace and leading, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist today. That is an incredible story. That comes in from, uh, I believe, how do I pronounce this name? Maybe Rika or Rekha? Um, Oh, Lyle, so great of you to join us this morning in the studio. We've got special guest Lyle Southwell. Hey, Lyle, how you doing? Yeah, doing doing great. I forget my microphone switched on. Might be useful. There we go. We're (laughs) alive now. Up and running. Thought I might join you guys. Yeah, why not? Yeah, awesome. Hey, we just had a text message come in that you didn't hear that, that is quite incredible. Listen to this. Listen to this. Hello, Faith FM. I was Hindu before. By God's incredible power and leading, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist today. Uh, praise God. Praise God for you. Thank you so much for, for texting in. Obviously, that's in reference to the story that we were covering in Lyle's new section about, um, yeah, some of the anti-conversion bills that have been passed in India at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah, Lyle, what have you got there? You got some text messages? Yeah, moving on to other text messages uh, on the cryptocurrency, the quick way to make lots of money, but also a quick way to lose it. Governments <laughs> will not yeah. allow crypto to remain unregulated. That's why many governments and banks are starting their own cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, methane compound sounds like a good world housekeeping cleaning agent. Yeah, well. It seems methane has many other uses. Mm-hmm. Well, well, specifically bacteria to break down methane. Yes. That, that's what we're trying that's to do. Right. We're not encouraging more methane. We were, no. we're actually actively discouraging methane. Yeah, but but then the it can be fuel. Using the methane fuel. that we have. Yeah. Okay, war, it only makes sense on the basis of greed and remembering that Satan is the ruler of this world. His job is to kill as many people as possible before they accept Jesus. World War Three is coming just before Jesus' second coming. Uh, religious bills are all against Jesus and his followers. Isn't it interesting that they are happening around the world, even in Christian nations? The governments of the world seem to have one mind. wonder whose mind that is. Indeed. It's, it's also interesting when you see, you know, union of church and state or union of religion and state. So you get a Hindu government in India that we were talking about before and they institute Hindu laws. You get a Christian government in America, you're going to get Christian laws. Mm. You know, government, church and state, religion and state need to remain separate. Government needs to be secular. 
and the church needs to be spiritual. It's that simple. That was mm. the model that God set up in ancient Israel. The king never had uh, a, a right to operate in the temple, and the priest didn't have a, a right to operate in the political sphere. Mm. The two were to remain separate. And there's a reason for that, because whenever you blend the two together, you get religious laws and religious persecution. Okay, religion and universities. That is why universities... Uh, today are financially supported by communist and socialist governments and institutions who hire professors who have the same beliefs against Christians. It's interesting just on that text message that um, if you go back to the 1940s, you know, Second World War era, that, you know, the population of the United States somewhat evenly divided between Democrat and Republic. Mm. And uh, that was reflected in the universities where the professors in the universities were sort of, you know, equally divided between Democrats and Republics. Now in the United States, you've got a situation where uh, university professors are 98% Democrat. Yeah. So it's a rather large change, and it shows you <laughs> well, a, a certain trajectory. Yeah, well... It, it, and, and it shows you a, a country that is out of balance. Mm. Mm-mm, mm. You know, regardless of whether you're Democrat or Christian, or, or sorry, Democrat or Republican, um, whichever side you take, and you can take either, either which side, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to make you more or less of a Christian depending on which side you take. But regardless of that, you can look at that statistic and you can say, this is a country that is no longer as, he- no longer as healthy and strong as it once was. Mm-hmm. And that's a sign of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, uh, I have a number of friends who live in the United States going to you know, university and, and our university age. I have a, one friend who goes to a, uh, a university in Massachusetts, I believe. Um, their university is like a liberal arts uni and it's like just and for her she's like quite you know she feels a little bit out of place it was a place where she could go and do her um her degree but she's like you know because she herself is a christian she's surrounded by people who don't necessarily hold that same worldview and yeah it is like she you know she's told me a few stories about how just how heavily you know you could say uh left-wing socialist ideals and all these kinds of things are just constantly spread because it's a real that's this college this university is just a hub for that it's full of people who think the same way and then i have another friend who is like completely secular um and she is like on the complete other end of the spectrum but then she goes to a christian university in the united states and- she just feels just as uncomfortable yeah <laughs> Right, like she, the, everyone there. It's that it's like the the total opposite. So it's it's interesting. Like, uh, depending on what institution you're going to in the United States, like you're getting an almost a dis- different. Yeah, you, know, you could say like if you if you're going to either of these schools to be an engineer, it's like oh, what's going to change between being an engineer? But I guess um, versus maybe some other um, some other subjects, like maybe if you're in in more you know the arts or the politics like political sphere or whatever in, in, in what you're studying, maybe history especially. Um, but ultimately, uh, the experience that you're having at university is wildly and incredibly different, uh, no matter, like, depending on which one you go to. So it's a, yeah, kind of a tough situation to be in because it's like, well, well you want to have a well-rounded worldview or you can either go to one of these colleges and see one side. And this is one of the things that worries me is when you get, Church leaders, for instance, in the U.S. that get together to campaign for the election of uh, um, the, the the latest Supreme Court judge, mm. and are campaigning politically because um, they they support her particular side of politics. Mm. 
that that concerns me mm-hmm. because I mean you know anybody who says that the Supreme Court is not partisan, anybody who says the Supreme Court is not uh, political, anyone who says that it is not a legislative body in effect in the United States is dreaming. Mm-hmm. And should we have should our church leaders be out there publicly campaigning for and basically politicking? For a particular side of government, mm. I don't think that's. I don't think that should be the case. I think that uh, we should stay. You know, we should we should speak about issues. Mm. There's no question about that. We should speak about. There's all kinds of issues that affect us as Christians, and our view of those issues is going to be informed by our Christianity. Mm. But we are here to speak to issues. We are here to speak to Christianity. We are not here to take a partisan position when it comes to politics because that's a union of church and state and our vote is something that you know is between us and God whether we even choose to do that or not but ultimately i think whatever what every side you're on like church doesn't exist to be in the politics industry in the music industry like the the, the you know in the building industry like church exists <laughs> to share the gospel with people like that is the whole purpose of church yes that you know we can talk about um you know uh helping people and and i guess yeah being activists for social equality and, and all these kinds of things like uh, are great but ultimately like our focus should be we have a message and especially in our day like we have a message that christ is coming soon what is more important to share than that? I feel Absolutely. like all of our, if, yeah, if we have a say in the political space, if we have a say in, in any of these spaces, in any of these industries, in any of these areas, it should be motivated by the fact that we want to share with people that Jesus is coming back soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of quick text messages here. One says, today it's impossible to separate, separate religion and politics. On the other one, uh, the news, amazing power given to the chief health officers worldwide. The WHO has been running the world for the last two years. Interesting observations. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So yesterday we were studying the word tov in the Bible. Oh, yes. Uh, which means it is good. So God good. God created the world. He each, At the end of each day he would look at what he had created and he would proclaim tov over it. Uh, proclaiming that it was good, we looked at the at, at the intricacies of that word and the meanings that it has. We looked at how that tov was something that worked, mm-hmm. s- something that was aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. So it looks good and it works. For something to be tov, it has to be both of those things. And so what you notice is that God is creating systems mm-hmm. within our world, systems mm-hmm. that work and that work amazingly, and then within those systems he's creating great beauty. Mm. Unimaginable, just fantastic, spectacular beauty, and so God creates all of these uh, these these amazing systems and these and this amazing beauty. But then we come down to Genesis chapter two, verse two and three, and we find that God is doing something a little bit different here at the end of the creation week. Uh, what what is God doing here? So God uh, seems he he puts his feet up and takes a rest. Okay. Actually, read for us one to three. Okay. The Bible says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished the work of creation, so he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work. Okay. So what does God do here at the end of creation? 
So he takes a rest. He makes a final. Yeah, he make, he takes takes a rest, and in doing so, he makes a mm-hmm. final proclamation. Yes, by resting. Uh huh. This this act in and of itself is a proclamation that now all of these systems that have been created mm-hmm. are all good. Mm. Because if there was anything that he needed to go back over, any amendments that he needed to make, any tweaks or uh, whatever that he needed for his system, then he wouldn't be resting. That's right. You know, you can't rest if, you know, there is something, you've just created something that needs to run constantly. Uh, you can't rest if there is something a little bit wrong with it and you need to give it a bit of a tune-up so that it doesn't self-destruct in, you know, the first 24 hours. Yeah, God isn't taking a study break here. No. He's like, oh, no, it's, he's finished his assignment, he submitted it <laughs> on time, and he's like, yeah, he's resting. Okay, so the, the, what, what you've got happening here is the ultimate Tov. Mm. So Tov, it works and it's aesthetically beautiful. When God rests, he's saying that everything works and everything is, is, beauti- is, is, the, is aesthetically beautiful. So, you know, you, you, you do creation on one day. Yes, mm-hmm. the things you've done that day, they work as a system and are aesthetically beautiful. Then you create something again the second day. Now, this also works, and it is also aesthetically beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it works in harmony with what you created the day before. Then you create on the third day, it works, it's aesthetically beautiful, and it works in harmony with the past three days. Yes. So everything is interlocking with each other. God is creating in stages, in a process. He's created a process here. And then when he gets to the end of it, he's like, I don't need to do any more. Mm-hmm. It is perfect and the sabbath day proclaims the perfection of god's creation mm-hmm. this is where this is where god is saying everything works everything is beautiful it's interesting like so far so god has taken a day to create a new aspect of his creation right to, yes. you know, to come up with a new aspect whether it's uh dividing water from land whether it's dividing sun moon and stars whether it's dividing you know land animals and sea animals whatever it may be um he takes a day to create. And now I've just heard it said um, that the creation continues into the seventh day. Um, God is creating the last thing that is Tov that is needed for all the previous systems to be able to run. He's creating rest. And that's why he's committing a whole day to resting. Um, it's interesting. Like, people who like argue against, you know, the Sabbath um, and against maybe, you know, the keeping of the Sabbath today, they would look at this and they're like, Oh, God rested, but that doesn't mean that we rest. But then it's like every previous day he spent creating a world that we can live in perfectly, that uh, that all has application and effect to our lives. And then this last seventh day, like, it doesn't just say, oh, and God took a rest. Like, he blesses the seventh day, he hallows the Sabbath day, he sets it apart, he makes it holy. Like, and this is the first experience that humanity is having. Like, they're waking up into... The Sabbath. As a time of communion with God. And it's like, if God is proclaiming it, who's he proclaiming it to? What, himself? Like, oh, did Moses just write it down because he's like, (laughs) oh, yeah, God, you know, rested and proclaimed it to himself. No, he's proclaiming it to them. He's like, oh, yes, I am resting. I am resting. You are resting. We are all resting because the work is done. And the the question comes up, you know, does God ever get tired? Does God get weary? Totally. Mm. Um. Because God doesn't get tired. <laughs> what, do you mean, what do you mean totally? 
Yeah, no, that like totally that question comes. I yes, mean, yes. I I say the word totally like non sarcastically. People usually wor- use that word as like an ironic sarcasm thing. Like, oh, totally. No, no. I'm like totally. Like, yeah, no, yeah. That that question. is a fan. Question. Yes. The question. Yeah, totally. Does God get tired? Does God need rest? No, God doesn't really need rest. <laughs> uh, God never needs rest. And so the question is, what is God actually doing? What, what does it mean when it says that mm. God rested? Mm. It means that God is proclaiming the perfection of his creation. Mm-hmm. He's resting in that he has stopped creating. He's completed. Yes. He's done. Mm. Awesome stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if we if we look at the Sabbath here, we find that it, it it then becomes a memorial of creation. This is one of the reasons why you know Satan has worked so hard to get rid of the concept of the Sabbath is because uh, it reminds us who our Creator is. It mm. reminds us that we are not here by uh, the process of evolution. It reminds us that we're not here by accident. It mm-hmm. reminds us that we were created to be the friend of God. It reminds us that uh, all of the uh, incredible systems that surround us. All the all of the incredible systems that are within us, all of the uh, intricacies that make our body work, that make our world work, that make the plants and the flowers and the animals and the rivers and springs and whatever it else mm. it is out there that makes our world work, all of those were created by God, and even though they have been irreparably harmed by sin. Mm. There is still so much beauty. There is still so much intricacy in our world right now. Mm -hmm. It is hard for us uh, to even begin to imagine. Mm. And furthermore, God is also incredibly interested in your personal well-being. Like, think about it. Humanity, like, they have this rest, and it's like, oh, does God need rest? No, like, this is a proclamation of what he had finished. But he's also, like, on Sabbath, like, he's modeling rest immediately to the created humans who did nothing. Like, they didn't help God. They don't need rest, yet they wake up into rest. And the whole point is, like, God is saying to them, hey, I care about you. Like, I want you to take a day off. Like, immediately saying, I have done all of this for you. And every single day, you get to work from your measly, tiny little responsibility that at this time was just like, you know, naming the animals. And I would say, compared to the entire work of creation, any work that we do now is probably considered as measly and minor compared to that. Uh, But God is communicating to them, like, immediately and throughout all time, like, oh, yeah, I really care about you guys, and I really want to spend time with you. Like, God isn't just a a co-worker. He's not a colleague. He's not someone that we see at work and then say, oh, peace out and go and do our own thing. He's like, no, I want to spend time with you. When you're resting, when you're relaxing, when you're by yourself, when you're, when, you know, in, in the deepest times of solitude, when you're away from everyone else, I want to be there. I want to be a blessing to your life. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to human beings, let's talk about human beings oh. for a moment. What does, what does God, God creates them. Uh-huh. Uh, they get to, you know, name the animals. God spends some time with them. Uh-huh. They have this Sabbath day of rest. Uh-huh. And then what does God Get them to do. So Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. The Bible says, The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Okay, so God has given Adam and Eve responsibility right here. Yes. He has created a garden, which is a particularly special place on earth. This is to be the center of, you know, the the rulership of this world. Mm. Adam is the head of our race and was to remain as such. And human beings were to, you know, populate the world from that particular point and go out 
into the rest of the world and to make it more beautiful mm-hmm. as well. What's interesting here is that God has made a beautiful garden and he's given the responsibility to Adam and Eve and you find that the first thing that he does is he sets them to work. Why do you think he sets them to work? I mean, wouldn't life just be better if you just never had to do anything? Would it? Like, that's the question. Like, would it actually, like... Because when you're in prison, you kind of don't have to do anything, do you? <laughs> that's right. You just sit around and do nothing. It's called yeah. being institutionalized. Uh-huh. Mm. And so God did not institutionalize our first parents. He set them to work. And that's what makes the Sabbath especially relevant for human beings mm. uh, because of, you know, the, the rest that we receive once every week. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. As we continue into our Bible study, we've been looking at Genesis chapter 2, and Lawson is going to bring us right now the 500-point question for the quiz. All right, for 500 points. After saying he become he became weak uh, to win the week, Paul says in order to save people, we need to be blank. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, this is a five-word phrase. So... Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call if you know the answer. Um, our prize this morning for five hundred points is the book Transformation. Behold, I make all things new by Jim Eyre. Um, and this is all about you know the Christian experience. And also, like when we hear people talk about the Christian experience, when we talk people talk, uh, hear people talk about living a life with Christ, we might be wondering, oh, well, what does that actually mean? How do we actually have that experience? That is what this book is all about. So again, that number is zero four nine one zero six four. Six six nine. But again, that question is: After saying he became weak to win the week, Paul says, "In order to save people, we need to be." And then he follows that up with a five-word phrase. What is that five-word phrase? If you know, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. All right. Going back to Genesis chapter two, we find that we look at this concept of Tov and how God created the world, and it was it worked. Mm-hmm. It was tov, it was mm-hmm. good, it worked, the system worked, and it was aesthetically beautiful. So mm-hmm. this is, and then of course he finishes this off with the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is the, the fact that he's keeping the Sabbath is, or the fact that he's instituting the Sabbath and the fact that he's resting is a proclamation that all of the systems work and yes. they work well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's think about some of those systems. Let's think about, uh, say for instance, your favorite system, uh, Lawson, which is, the digestive system. Nelson <laughs> <laughs> loves to talk about the Asian food that he's been eating through the week, and that's all good. So but you know, you, you think of something like this, and it is—it's a great system. Yes, amen. How it, it, it converts things that grow outside to energy making inside you have this amazing factory within your system that creates growth it creates restoration it creates energy it keeps you going it's an incredible system and then like a byproduct of waste that easily breaks down in nature and actually helps to grow nature grows more things mm-hmm. uh, absolutely so it's it's fully recyclable mm-hmm. it's it's a fantastic system okay so when we when we look at the sabbath in context of that when god proclaims the sabbath and god sets up the sabbath he is completing a system. He is proclaiming mm. that the system is good. He is giving it to humanity. Therefore, the Sabbath becomes a part of God's system. Mm. That is good for us. Food is good for us. Without food, we die. 
The Sabbath Amen. is good for us. God says, okay, I'm going to set you to work. Mm. And every day, every week, I want you to have one day off. Mm-hmm. He, he establishes the week. The week doesn't come from the cycle of the moon around the earth or the earth around the sun mm-hmm. or the rotation of the earth or any of those kind of things like the day, the month, the year come from. The week comes from God's proclamation where he says, I want you to take one day off every week. Our seven-day week is a reminder that we have a creator God. Mm. And so when we take that one day off a week, God is telling us you to, for your system to work. Okay, so you've got a digestive system, but you've also got a rest system. Mm. You can't just work 24-7, seven days a week. It's never going to work for you. You need to have a rest system, and a part of that rest system is a weekly day off. Yeah, how good. And the other thing that it proclaims is that not only is rest necessary for human health, but communion with God is necessary mm. for human health because the Sabbath is all about a day to spend with God. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we look at the system, so, the, so here God has created a perfect system, and when we mess with that system, we mess with our health. Yes. You know, I talk to people about the Sabbath many, many times, you know, regularly talk to people about the Sabbath because it's like the most amazing thing ever. Mm-hmm. And you would be shocked at the opposition and the resistance that I get to the concept of the Sabbath. Yeah, the concept of taking one day off a week for for, for your own health. Yep. Like for your own benefit. Uh-huh. Like, wow, I really don't want to rest, guys. <laughs> Come on. Like, Jeez. Just let me work myself to the bone. Like it's like what? What are you talking about? Like come on, over and over and over again. I talk about mm. the Sabbath and I get resistance from it. Mm. It's just the most bizarre thing. You know the the other thing about you know this whole creation week mm. and particularly the Sabbath is that we when we when we rest on the Sabbath and we recognize that we are resting on the Sabbath because we are recognizing that we were created by God that we were created in the image of God, um, that our body is a perfect system, it is the temple of God, and that therefore our body is not evil. Now this is interesting particularly for the ancient past. There were many pagans in the past who thought that the body was evil, mm. whereas God says, no, your body was created in my image. Mm. Uh, we were created in the image of God and we need communion with him. Um, now, another thing that we're going to look at here in Genesis chapter 2 is uh, in verse 2 it says, and on the seventh day God ended his work. Mm -hmm. That phrase is used in a couple of other places in the Bible. Oh, okay. Ended his work. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of the building of Solomon's temple, at the end of the building of Moses' temple, Mm -hmm. that same phrase is used, which points us back to creation. But what's it pointing to us in the completion of, you know, it points us back to creation where it points us to the completion of obviously our bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm. But when it talks about the completion of the temples on earth, what are the temples on earth pointing us forward to? Well, it's pointing us up towards a, you know, temple in heaven, but also forward towards the sacrifice of Christ. That's right. Mm -hmm. And the completion of salvation. Mm. And what's interesting is if you go over to Isaiah chapter 66, let's go over to Isaiah 66 real quick. Um, Isaiah 66 and the last couple of verses there, 22, 23. Why don't you read that for us, please? says, As surely as my new he- as my new heavens and earth will remain, so will you always be my people with name 
uh, with a name that will never disappear, says the Lord. All humanity will come to me and worship me from week to week, from month to month. Um, do you want me to keep reading? I don't know. Okay, yeah. All right, so this is interesting because the Bible says that in heaven we will keep the Sabbath. Well, why do we keep the, the, keep the Sabbath in heaven? Mm-hmm. It's a reminder that God created us, but it's also a reminder that God redeemed us mm-hmm. because God does this. God keeps the Sabbath once it is finished. Mm. And we live in a world of sin and pain and suffering, and the reality is that our world will finish. Mm-hmm. The sin, the pain, the suffering will finish at some particular point, and the Sabbath is not just going to be a reminder in heaven that... Uh, God created us and he finished it and it was good. But it's also a reminder that God had a plan for if we sinned. Mm. And it was a perfect plan and it was a perfect system. And it was tov. It was very good. And when it is finished, what do we do? We rest. Mm. And we will do that every week for the rest of eternity. We will rest once a week, and that rest will re- will be a reminder of the perfect systems that God created in the Garden of Eden and the perfect system of the plan of salvation that God created that enables us to enjoy God's creation for the rest of eternity. Mm. So we've got a lot of things that are coming out of uh, just these first couple of verses of the book of Genesis um, that we can you know, dig into in uh, you know, more depth. You know, if you go over to Isaiah 65 and verse 17, the Bible says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Mm. It will be that good. The Bible says, you know, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into You're the You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. How positively different things are that God has created for us. We're here on Faith FM and we're about to get into our question of the day. Before we do so, as always, answers for the quiz. All right, here are some answers for the quiz. For 100 points, the answer was Saul. He was the first king of Israel. 200 points, it was Peter and John. 300 points, 666, the number of the beast. For 400 points, it was Jephthah, uh, who made a terrible, foolish vow that ended up leading him to, uh, to yeah, do some terrible things. Uh, and finally, for 500 points, the answer was all things to all people. That is what Paul became. But right now, it is time for... Question of the day! <laughs> nice. One of the Shuttleworth brothers in there giving us, uh, bringing us into the question of the day. And it is this. Miriam asks... If Christ's death abolished the ceremonial decrees of the Old Covenant, um, you know, according to Colossians 2.14, why do the majority of scholars believe that this verse means that Christ paid the full debt of sin on our behalf? Okay, the reason that confusion comes into this is because uh, there are a lot of people who do not recognize that there is more than one law in the Bible. Mm-hmm. They throw the whole, they throw all the laws into one big bucket, uh, mix them together, and say, "Well, the law was obviously nailed to the cross. That means all law was nailed to the cross. There now is no law except for an ephemeral thing called, you know, the law of love." Mm-hmm. And the law of love is one of those, you know, rubber noses that you can kind of point any which direction you want, as so long as you define it as being love. Oh, yeah, it's. Ugh. And so, you know, they take the context from verse thirteen, where it says, "And you being dead in your sins." And the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made uh, alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. And they take it from there, and they're like, okay, the Bible's talking about you know us being forgiven of all of our trespasses. Uh, therefore, 
in verse 14, it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Therefore, this verse right here in verse 14 is in reference to uh, all of our sins. Mm -hmm. However, Paul goes on to clarify, just in case, just in case you were a bit confused about that, Paul goes on to clarify which particular laws he's talking about Mm -hmm. here that were blotted out and nailed to the cross. Uh, because he is illustrating that Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary fulfilled the ceremonial law so that we no longer need to follow the ceremonial law Mm -hmm. and we no longer need to sacrifice animals. And so in verse 16 he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or of respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days. Now when he uh, writes this in verse uh, 16 right here, of course, he's quoting directly from Ezekiel chapter 45. In Ezekiel 45, uh, the Bible says this, It will be the prince's part to give burnt offerings, meat offerings, drink offerings, in the feasts, the new moons, and the Sabbaths, and all the solemnities of the house of Israel. And so this is a clear reference to the ceremonial law. And so Paul is pointing out that the ceremonial law, which has uh, meat offerings, drink offerings, uh, feast days, new moons, and Sabbath days attached to it, or as an integral part of it, I should say, these are no longer necessary to the blotting out of our sins because Jesus has died on Calvary. Mm. And so this is a direct reference here to the ceremonial law and the fact that Jesus has died on Calvary and, and now we no longer need that, those ceremonies to be able to get rid of our sins. Jesus mm. has fulfilled that. The question, of course, that people do trip up on is the fact that the Sabbath is included. And because the Sabbath is included, a lot of people assume, well, actually, this is not about the ceremonial law. This is about the uh, Ten Commandments, mm. except that there are no, um, no, no, no no meat offerings, no drink offerings, um, no new moons, etc. in the Ten Commandments. And, and so it's like, okay, that's a bit odd. And then so, so then they go, well, this is all law. All law is just nailed to the cross. And that's, and that's where you end up with. That's the conclusion that you are forced to once you, uh, refuse, once you do no longer separate the different laws. You had the ceremonial law, which, of course, began after sin as a response to sin and involved death. The Ten Commandment law exists before sin because it defines what sin is and mm. is eternal. There is no there is no death before sin. Two very very different laws right here. But the Sabbath days is the issue that does uh, trip people up. Um, there's a very simple answer to that. Uh, both the ceremonial law and the Ten Commandments have Sabbath days, but they're very different from each other. Uh, the seventh day Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. It can fall on any date, mm-hmm. but it always falls on the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ceremonial Sabbaths you'll find those listed in Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, there were seven of them and they fell on a date. Therefore, they'd be on a different day every year. And mm-hmm. they happened once a year, whereas the weekly Sabbath happened once a week. One points forward to the creation. So where one points back to creation, the other points forward to the cross. The ceremonial Sabbaths were described in the next verse in Colossians 2.17 as being a shadow of things to come. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.